Um, what you just saw was uh, the day camp that we had this week. Um, all of our little ones here um, were, were a part of that, and uh, it was an awesome week, um, as you could see. Um, I want to acknowledge a few people, if I can, uh, uh, to start this out. Uh, Kim Wilson, um, right here, uh, was basically uh, uh, the, the brains behind all of this. This was her vision, um, her theme. It was, just, it was just kind of her heart, and we had prayed for somebody to step up and do this. Um, at some point, me and Brett did, and, and she stepped up. And so uh, we are forever grateful for her for this, uh, for this week that, that happened. Um, I think average 50 kids a day. Um, so that's kind of like record for us. We, we, we don't normally have that many, so that was awesome. Um, I want to call a few people out uh, as well. Amy Logan uh, led our crafts. She assembled a team and led our crafts, and the crafts always pertain to what the kids were learning uh, in the scriptures, and so that was really awesome. Thank you, Amy. Uh, Dorothy Martin <coughs> um, put together a food team uh, to provide breakfast and lunch uh, for each of these kids Monday through Thursday, um, which, uh, if you didn't know, North Terre Haute, um, you know, we, we have a lot of need. Um, a lot of these kids probably don't eat meals on a regular basis, and so they came here, they had meals, so that was just a huge blessing to them, this community really. Um, and then uh, Caleb Fjordelis, uh, uh put a team together and, and, and led all the games uh, that week, and so they were there day in and day out planning and stuff, so when you see them, pat them on the back, tell them good job, um, it was just a huge, a huge, huge, huge success, uh, and I'm glad it's over because it was exhausting, um, but... Um, uh, there was so much fruit in it, and so thank you to all who, you know, helped out with that and served in that way. So uh, why don't you go and join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, we just uh, um, come before you today uh, as we open your word uh, and try to navigate uh, through pieces of the Old Testament that are um, somewhat difficult uh, sometimes, God. So we just ask that you just, uh, uh, you just speak today. Um, not I or not anything else, God, that you would just, um, just reveal your word to us. God, that we would come away uh, refreshed and renewed and, and challenged uh, by your word. Um, and God, we just really commit this word to you. Um, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you have a copy of the scriptures, uh, if you don't, there should be one around you. But if you do, we're going to be going to Leviticus chapter 16 today. <coughs> Excuse me. Leviticus chapter 16. Okay, Leviticus is one of those books. Um, it's, it's complicated sometimes. I call it the nail in the coffin because if you've ever tried to start a reading plan uh, to read the Bible through a year and you started in Genesis, uh, Leviticus, Leviticus will take you out. Okay, that'll be the book that like, okay, um, I'm, not, I'm no longer captivated uh, by, you know, the miracles and all that kind of stuff. Now I'm just being told what to eat and what not to eat and, and what animal to kill when I commit this sort of sin. And so it's just like, you know, just kind of weird, right? Um, by the way, just in case you, you know, you, you, you didn't know, we don't still kill animals, um, you know, as form of worship um, or anything like that. Um, in fact, in Christ, we never did that. This was long ago, culturally, um, completely different, okay? But I think it would help us to understand uh, the grace behind Leviticus, the book of Leviticus. Because a lot of times people look at it and what they see um, is, is a lot of rules and laws, what they see is a lot of blood, right? There's a lot uh, of blood in, in that uh, part of the, um, the, the worship um, of the Israelites at this time was, uh, in fact, uh, the shedding of blood, okay, uh, of just uh, of animals to, to show their dedication and their love for him to, to, to receive atonement for their sins. 
Okay, there's a whole sacrificial system that we just, you know, we don't practice that, obviously. Okay, so there's a lot of themes in it that are kind of hard. So when you look at it, it's kind of difficult to just see the grace in it, okay? Um, so to do that, I want you to just kind of understand what's going on in Leviticus, okay? In Leviticus, what you need to understand is that these people um, just came out of 400 years of slavery, um, just being enslaved and, and oppressed, by the Egyptian culture, okay, which meant um, that they had kind of lost touch with God, and those who didn't were certainly confused at this point after centuries, right, uh, of, uh, of being oppressed by a culture that worshipped other gods in very heinous ways, right, uh, very ridiculous ways, okay, um, and then God was bringing them out of that land, right, and into other lands where it was just Groups of other people worshiping other gods in other heinous ways, okay? And so what you have essentially is just this baby of a nation, the Israelites. And so what you see in Leviticus is God kind of establishing himself, reestablishing his authority among them, but also just giving them a proper way and function of worship and pursuit of holiness, all right? Um, I'll put it this way. Uh, the other day, Kenzie was gone, and I was at home with the kids, and, uh, you know, it was about time to eat, and the kids were, um, you know, had already made a mess everywhere. So I was just like, you know, it's time to clean up. Um, we're about to eat. Kenzie's about to be back. Let's clean up, you know. And so what I would do is I, tell, I do this often, and I need to learn from my mistakes at some point. But I just tell the girls, you know, go in your room and pick up. Go pick up. Go clean up. Go pick up your room. You know, uh, just kind of broad. Um, you know, I'm usually got some other task in my head that I need to get to, so I'm going to send them in the room. They're going to start cleaning up. I'm going to go do my thing, and then we're going to all meet up in the living room. Everything's going to be fine, right? So I go do my thing. I come back into their room to see how far they've gotten, and you could probably guess how far they've gotten, right? Because what does a kid do when he picks up, or when she picks up a toy to, to put it away? It's like, oh, I got a toy in my hand. You know what I mean? They start playing. That's just what they do. I'm an adult, and I still do this all the time. Like, I still, like, I'll, I'll be walking, I'll just see a ball, I'll be, have a task, and I'll see a ball, and then 20 minutes later, I'm like, oh, yeah, I was supposed to do something. You know what I mean? This happens. And so, so for them, it just doesn't work to just say, go pick up your room. And so what I have to do is just embrace some patience, be done with whatever I was doing, sit on the bed, and say, Larissa, pick the little pot up and put it in your little kitchen. McKinley, pick these toys up and put it in the basket and put it on your shelf, right? I got to get specific, right? But for the purpose of them achieving the ultimate goal of picking up the room, right? What we see in Leviticus is not God just saying, hey, worship me. Hey, follow me. Hey, pursue me. Hey, be holy. What you see in Leviticus is him grabbing his people by the hand and saying, this is how you do it. This is very specific, descriptive ways of how you can love me, approach me, right? If you, um, if you don't know what is good or bad to eat, here it is. It's impossible to make the mistake, right? It's super clear. Um, if you committed this kind of sin against me or against one of your brothers or sisters, here's what you do to make up for that. It's very clear, right? So Leviticus, in, in really its nature, is, is actually an act of grace from God um, giving them a very clear way, right, to, to pursue him and, and to follow after him, right? And just like with any kid, what, you also, what also comes along with this um, is, is discipline when they don't do what you specifically ask them to do, all right? 
So this is what you see in Leviticus. Leviticus gets its name because um, it's primarily written to the Levites, the priests of the Israelites. Okay? And so a lot of this is just priesthood 101. God's just telling them how to lead and nurture his people to him. Right? And then a large portion of it also is just to the wider body. Okay? So that's where we're going to actually go is to that portion where it's just talking about the whole nation. Okay? In Leviticus chapter 16. So if you are there, we'll go ahead and start reading in verse 6. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Some of you are like, what in the world is going on? Right? Um, the study that we're doing, this little uh, sermon series that we're doing is all about seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. And so I just want you to know that Leviticus is totally about Jesus. We're actually going to see him in this. Okay, so we're going to get there. Um, Jesus says at the end of the Gospel of Luke, he, he's risen from the dead and he's with his disciples. And he says, uh, he says you know, the law, all of the, the writings of Moses, basically all of the New Testament, all of it pointed to me. And then it says that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Okay? So I understand fully that there might be people in here who do not have the foundation of Jesus. And so a lot of this is going to maybe be over your head. Right? And by the way totally glad you're here, and, and that's not anything against you, because what we're going to actually do is go back to the foundation. What we're going to do is tell you how this is actually about Jesus, okay? I would never suggest Leviticus to somebody who just is, you know, j has just uh, began to know Jesus, or uh, to somebody who is completely oblivious to this stuff. It's not a good starting place, right? Oh, you just, you just got saved. Jumped over to Leviticus, um, these are the animals you need to kill, you know, to follow him properly. Like, we don't do that because we don't live in that culture. We don't live in that covenant, right? We are under grace. It comes from Jesus. And so we start in the Gospels, and we work our way back. All right? Um, so just in case you're, you're in that boat at all. Okay, so what we just read um, was about the Day of Atonement. Okay, so in, in Jewish culture, there was this day. All right, and it comes from um, when the... Israelites um, were, were, were totally disobedient to God, okay? Moses goes on to Mount Sinai, right, and the whole thing where God and Moses and, and the Ten Commandments and all that kind of stuff. And when he comes down, what does he see is the people doing? They're worshiping a calf, right? A God that made, they made with their own bare hands, right, that doesn't give them anything. But in the little lapse of time where they didn't have a leader for a moment, they freaked out and they built their own God and they started worshiping it. Moses comes down, he's mad, he breaks the commandments, he breaks them, and, and, and there's just a, a sin just kind of over the nation, right? And so then it's kind of try number two. Moses goes back on Mount Sinai and intercedes between the people and God, saying, please forgive them, please forgive them. Uh, and, and God gives them, gives Moses the commandments, he comes down, and the people are actually repentant. Right? They're not disobedient this time. They're actually fully repentant of their idolatry. Right? And so God forgives them. And out of that comes this yearly day, Day of Atonement. Uh, you've probably heard it, Yom Kippur. Okay? This is that day where they remember, where they remember this. And, and what they, how they still celebrate it today is with deep, deep fasting 
and repentance and reflection uh, upon just kind of their own lives and their own relationship with him. Okay. So that's what this day is. That's where it comes from. Uh, and, and it lasts for a while. All right? But unlike today, for them, the Day of Atonement uh, meant something more graphic because they were still under the Old Covenant. And so they had this sacrificial system that they abided by. Okay? The sacrifice of animals was part of their worship to God. It was uh, part of their uh, offering to him. Okay? There was a, an assortment of them. Here's a few. <clears throat> there were burnt offerings that were used to appease God and to show their dedication to him amidst kind of their general sinful state. Okay? There were peace offerings made to express thankfulness to God as he would bless his people um, or deliver them from harm. There were sin offerings made to request purification from God regarding uh, specific sinful situations. And there were guilt offerings primarily done when something holy had been desecrated. Right? There was an objective guilt when somebody did something directly against God. And in all of these cases, and these are just a few, in all of these cases, what was required was the shedding of blood to make it right, to be atoned. Okay? And even in the peace offering, where it was just to give thanks to God, the shedding of blood was used for that as well. Okay? And I'll pretend... I don't pretend to understand it all, and none of us will unless we lived then, there, and, and at that time. You know, we just, we just can't fully grasp it, but I believe there's a lot here for us to take away. Even though we, we are under grace that is provided by Jesus, Scripture says that Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament. It's all about him. He fulfilled this, and so somehow he fulfilled this sacrifice of blood to atone for sins, right? And many of you are like, yeah, you know, that's why we're here. So we're going to talk about that. All right. Um, so what would happen on the Day of Atonement? Here's what would happen. First of all, Aaron, the high priest, would sacrifice a bull. Okay? Um, and he would use the blood of the bull for different things, but mainly this would atone for him as priest and his household. Okay? A lot of people think that uh, this was just kind of a, a one-time thing because most or Aaron's kids um, approached God in the wrong way and they were killed for it. And so he's got he's to make that right. Other people think that it was you know, uh, a constant thing. But here's the more important stuff, okay? After that, he would take a goat, okay, a goat, and he would take it and he would slaughter it, is the word. So he would grab it and he would tilt its head up and he would take a sharp knife and slit its throat. Blood would pour out and he would bleed it out, okay? And then he would take that blood and he would sprinkle it on different things. You read about that uh, in verse 15. We'll go ahead and read that. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place. Until he comes um, in the most holy place, until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Okay? So he would slit the throat of this goat and use this blood, and essentially what this would do uh, is atone the places where they met, as well as the whole community of Israel. Okay? And we'll get to the scapegoat in a little bit, but I want us to just kind of understand something. Okay? Um, um, the death of something is always sobering, right? It's always sobering. But I tell you, it's even different when you're the cause of it. 
It's even different when you're the cause of it. I know up to this point it might feel like a, uh, you know, a lot of information, but for these people, if we could just try to get empathetic with them, for these people, right, every time they desecrated something holy, uh, every time they sinned against the Lord or sinned against, sinned against a brother uh, or sister, every day, um, every year at the Day of Atonement, this is what the people knew. They knew that their sin killed that thing. That's what they knew. The reason this gruesome thing is happening is because my sin, right? The shedding of the blood of this was to atone for my sin, all right? I'm thankful that every time I sin, I don't have to kill, you know, something of mine, right? That I don't have to experience that graphic, um, just, just a sign of just blood, right? I, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm already queasy already just talking about it, okay? I, it's disgusting, right? But that's the point of it. Right, death is sobering, but when you're the cause of it, it kicks it up a notch, okay? We had this family dog um, named Janie. I knew this dog for like 19 years of my life, so this was tough, okay? Um, but anyways, um, some people who know the story are already laughing, so uh, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, 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 I'll try not to laugh as well or cry because I love this dog, so quit laughing, please. Um, but anyways, uh, this dog got along in its ears, and uh, one day... Um, my mom was back in the van out, and she just got too old to get out from under the van. So you can connect the dots. Um, and so my mom comes into my room, bawling. It's like, I think I, I think I killed Janie. I was like, what do you mean? Well, I, I hit her with the van. I was like, did you hit her? She's like, yeah. I, like, I rolled over her. I go, okay. So I got up, and I went out there, pulled the van off, found her, put the towel on her to cover her up because it was just gruesome, you know, and, and, and I grabbed her, I went outside and I buried her, just weeping the whole time because I knew this dog for 18 years of my life, right, weeping the whole time, went back in the garage, cleaned it out, right, because it was gross and there was stuff there, okay, not to be too graphic, but I'm just letting you know, you know, that I felt sad, I felt uh, a lot of just kind of sadness in my heart, you know, I was just crying, I was emotional and that kind of stuff, but I guarantee you, I don't feel near as bad as my mom still does for being the cause of that dog's death. Um, and we still, like, give her a hard time about that, and she wasn't necessarily the cause, you know, old age and all that kind of stuff, but she was the one driving the van, so she bears the burden uh, of killing the dog, okay? Um, and so she, she carries this, like, when we still bring it up. Right? There's something different about seeing death, but about being the cause of death. Right? That's, that's a different story. Okay? Did you know that there's a huge difference, a huge difference between emotion and being the cause of what solicits that emotion? All right? We often ask God for forgiveness. We often come to places of repentance. Right? But if you're like me and you've known Jesus for a long time, a lot of times it could just become a formality. Or just a, a momentary emotional experience, right? You're, uh, you're not really mindful of the things at stake or the cost of the sin, right? But for the Israelites, they always knew that their sin meant that something had to die, right? And oftentimes, they were the ones that had to take the life, all right? There is weight to that. That's heavy, Hebrews 9.22 says that according to the law, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. All right, and again, I don't pretend to understand fully why God chose this way, 
right, to, to make atonement, all that kind of stuff. He's, he's infinite. He could have chose any way. But I think the reason that he picked this way is because it points us to Jesus. First of all, it points us to Jesus by reminding us that, the, that, that, that sin is gross. Sin is gross. It's the gra- he reminds us of the gravity of sin, the sacrificial blood that is poured out. When you see it, it reminds you of how heavy your sin is and mine. It's gross, it's graphic, it's disgusting. Okay, a few weeks ago, Brett preached on uh, Adam and Eve, and he talked about how uh, sin, you know, came into the world, okay? And so, after God had that interchange with them, and he cursed the ground, and he, and he cursed the serpent, right? And, and the people already felt the weight of their own curse, right? After that, you immediately see play out when Cain takes the life of his brother Abel. Okay, and when you read that story... You know, you don't read about a funeral service or anything like that, but think about how freaky that would be for them to see a lifeless, bloody body for the first time. It's the first dead body. Think about how weird and freaky that would have been for Adam and Eve and any other siblings to see that body, right? The initial reaction, their initial response to, to sin, this is what sin looks like. It looks like a bloody mess, lifeless, okay? It's weighty. It's heavy. Right, scripture says that he who, who knew no sin became sin, right? So Jesus, Jesus himself, when he was on the cross bearing the sin of the world, was so disgusting that, Jesus, that God couldn't look at him. God turned his face away from him. Jesus was so ugly to him because in that moment, all he had on him was you and I and everybody in all creation, all of our sin was on him. And that's what God saw and he couldn't look at it. He had to turn his face. It was disgusting. It was gross. Okay? That's the weight of sin. That's the gravity of sin. There is nothing pretty about it. It's disgusting. Okay? This is what the sacrificial blood reminds us of. Right? And it also reminds us of this. There is always collateral with sin. Always collateral. All right? Obviously, in our own lives, when we sin, when we fall short, when we do things um, that, that, that we know we shouldn't do, right? If it's young, if you're a young person, your parents are usually the ones that take the hit for that, and it hurts them, right? And if you're older, uh, if you're a parent, then your kids take the hit for that. It hurts them, right? When we give ourselves to sinful things, it hurts other people. This is the nature of sin. It's progressive, and there's always collateral damage. And this is from the beginning, Right? Adam and Eve. Back to Adam and Eve. When they sinned against God, right, before they sinned, they felt no shame, right? They were naked and felt no shame, right? And then after they sinned, after they disobeyed, all of a sudden they have shame, and so they covered themselves with leaves, right? But God, in His grace, met them in their shame and covered them with skin. That's what it says it covers them, covers them with skin. Now, where do you get skin apart from the slaughtering of an animal to take its skin? Right? God met them in their shame, covered their shame with the sacrifice. Right? This is from all the way, all the way at the beginning. Okay? Sin runs in our blood. Okay? It reminds us of the collateral damage. It's gross. It's disgusting. And it's us. It is who we are before we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's heavy, okay? Most times when animals had to be sacrificed, they were, they were to be unblemished, kind of the cream of the crop, uh, something that uh, represented innocence, right? Something that you know, was spotless and blameless, right? Without defect, 
right? So this kind of shows us already in Leviticus that only the blood of something perfect can bring forgiveness to the imperfect, right? The sinful uh, and, and rebellious. Only the blood of something perfect, right? I could die for you right now and say I'm dying for your sins, and guess what? Nothing's going to happen because I'm imperfect. My blood is tainted. My blood is imperfect. There is sin in my blood. It runs deep in me, and it runs deep in all of us. There was one who could say, I'm going to die for your sins, and he did it, and he does it. He forgives you of your sin. There was one who could do that. It was God, and his name is Jesus. There was one man, perfect, without defect. His blood is the only blood good enough to cover your sin. Nothing you can do, nothing else that you can believe, nothing else can cover you and make you right before God outside of his perfect blood. Okay, this is what blood reminds us of. All right, Leviticus 17 says that, that the life source of um, that the life source of a creature is its blood, and so it's just uh, amazing to me every time I think that you know my life source is sinful because my blood is sinful. I thrive on it. Okay, but there's hope, okay? You don't sacrifice just to live in the sin, right? The sacrificial blood also reminds us of the gravity of sin. We talked about that, but it also reminds us of his measureless grace. His measureless grace, right? In the Old Testament, God made a way for his people in obedience uh, and right standing with him through spotless blood being shed, right? This is still true, but the atoning sacrifice is no longer the blood of bulls and goats and whatever else you want to put on the altar, right? Flip your Bibles open to the right uh, to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. By the way, if you're ever looking for a good book for clarity on just uh, Old Testament versus New Testament and, and the bridge between those two, Hebrews is the place to go. That's exactly what he's doing. Is he's bridging the gap. And in Hebrews 10, he begins to talk specifically about what we were just talking about in Leviticus 16. Okay? The author says in verse 3 of chapter 10, But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then if you jump forward uh, to verse 11... It says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, he's talking about Jesus, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. One sacrifice. That's what Jesus did. One sacrifice, one death. His blood was sufficient to cover the sins of the world, right? 1 Peter 1, 18, 19 says that he is a lamb without blemish or defect. So he fulfills that part, right? John 1, 29 says that he is, uh, John the Baptist kind of sees him off in the distance. He says, sees the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's Jesus, Right? He, he, his blood, his, his, his perfection, right? Without defect, without blemish. He is the only one that can do this. Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire sacrificial system. Praise God, by the way, because I don't want to kill something every time I sin and have it right in my face every time. I don't want to do that. 
okay? Jesus is the fulfillment, one sacrifice sufficient for all, his sinless perfect blood poured out so that you and I and all who would believe can be forgiven of your sin. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, perfect. He did this. And he didn't do it just to cover you, by the way. But he did it to remove it completely. Does that make sense? One, uh, on the Day of Atonement, right, we talked about the goat that was, that, was, that was slaughtered, right, and this would atone for the sins of the nation. So it's a heavy day, okay, but at the same time, there was another goat. It was the scapegoat. And what would happen is the high priest would, would lay his hands on the goat and he would confess all of the sins of the nation, all of the sins, and then those sins would rest on him. That, that goat would bear those sins, Right, poor goat, right? And so then they would, they would take the goat and they would not kill it, but they would lead it out into the wilderness, just completely remove it from the nation, okay? The word atonement means to cover. Okay, so when you read that, it means to cover. And this is what the blood uh, of the bulls and goats did for them. This is what Jesus' blood does for us. It covers us. It covers our sin. In a sense, it hides it. Right? But Jesus takes it a step further. He says, I'm not just going to cover it for you. I'm going to remove it completely. I'm going to remove it completely. Okay? Just like the, 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 the goat was led out into the wilderness. Right? His blood is sufficient to cover your sin and to remove it completely. What we're talking about is complete life change. It's transformation. Right? This is what the New Testament writers uh, are talking about when they talk about a new creation in Jesus. No longer bound uh, by the sinful chains that so gripped you. You're a new creation. Okay, and we all know that we still have sin in our blood. We still have sin in our blood, right? As long as we live on this earth, we will. But here's what Jesus did. See, when you, re when you receive the blood of Christ, he begins a, a blood transfusion in your heart, replacing sin with righteousness, apathy with passion, lust with purity, ignorance to knowledge, complacency to motion, indifference uh, to adoration. He does this change organically. And so from the day that you receive Christ all the way to the day that you see him face to face, you are becoming a new person. And it says that he is faithful to complete this work. When you see him face to face, the, the work will be finished. He's faithful to this work. Okay? This is life change. This is transformation. It's not a momentary emotional experience. This is forever. Okay, and he's faithful to complete it. So his blood reminds us of our sin, but more so, it reminds us of his measureless grace to cover this for us. And when we come into a proper view of these things, it brings us to repentance of our own sin, followed by grateful praise, right to our Savior, uh, worship to him, and it should play out in a strong passion for those without him. Because you've come to realize that you are a sinner and that that sin is disgusting. And that he saved you from that by becoming the fullness of that disgust on the cross. He saved that for you. You want people to know this. If this is real to you, this is how it will play out. Okay? And, and if coming into view of his blood doesn't solicit this, then it's possible that you have been desensitized to the cross. And do we not live in a culture that is excellent at desensitizing people to the cross? at distracting people from the cross, right? We got to wait for one day on Good Friday every year to come in view uh, of his blood and we cry about it for a minute, we're back into it the next day. He doesn't need our pity. He doesn't need our pity tears. What he wants is our passion. 
Every year we, uh, we take a group of kids to Student Life Camp, and Brandon and Travis took a, a large group to Student Life Camp this year, and I just went as a, as a helper rather than a leader. Uh, I've gone to this camp for 14, 13 years, somewhere around there. And uh, while we were there, I don't even remember what night it was, but there was a night where um, uh, uh, the, the speaker um, spoke about just the passion of Christ, right? He didn't show the movie, uh, but in his words and in his motions, he, he compelled us with it, right? He's talked about Jesus' back being ripped open. He talked about the nails going into his wrist and his feet with details uh, and, and graphic uh, kind of pieces that maybe we did not know before. And by the end of the night, as you would guess, and everybody was crying. Everybody was just crying at, at the death of this man, right? Now, I've been taking kids to this camp for a while, and I can tell you that of probably, you know, the few hundred kids that have gone to this camp with us, there's a small amount of them in this room today. Most of them still live in this town, okay? All of them shed a tear or two for the death of Jesus. All of them did. But there is a massive difference between having an emotional, empathetic response to a man who's being beaten up, brutalized, killed on the cross. By the way, if you're not moved by that, you're not human, right? Even if it's a fictional character, you'll be brought to tears when you see that happen. There's a huge difference between that and understanding that Adam Connor was the one holding the whip. Adam Connor was the one hammering the nails. His blood is on my hands because of my sin. I did that to him. You did that to him. Okay? It's not emotion. It's not just an emotional response. Yeah, if you're brought to tears and broken because you realize that you killed Jesus with your sin, then yeah, let's go with that. But outside of that, it's not real. And you see it play out in a matter of a few months. You see it play out in a matter of a few months. Emotional reactions and nothing more don't last. And the ones that are excited about camp right now, they're a few weeks out of camp, and I'm prayerful that they last, and I'm prayerful that they understand what really happened, what was really expressed to them that night. Some of us here, we've been living a Christianity in a way that, that completely misses the passion and the motion that his blood calls us to. We have zero passion for the lost. We have zero passion for people that don't know him. Right? But we say that we are moved by his blood. We say that we are um, um, challenged by that. But we don't, we don't do it. We get lost in the culture and in the world around us that totally distracts us and desensitizes us to the cross. If you're a believer here today, I pray that you're moved. But you don't need to respond today with an emotional pity party for Jesus. Like we just read. He's alive. And he's well. And he's victorious. And at some point, he's going to make all enemies his footstool. He doesn't need our pity. He wants our passion. He wants those around you to see him through you. He wants you to pursue him in ways that you've been neglecting. He wants, you, uh, to, he wants to bring you out of your Christian feel-good bubble and take you into the real world where people are in desperate need of his perfect blood. This is what he wants for you. This is what his blood calls us to. And if you're here... And you don't know if you've been covered by his blood. You don't know if your sins have been removed. You never had that point where you just understood that your sin is the reason for this. Right? I just, I plead with you that you be convicted today. I'm not even going to shy away from it. 
that, in, that today uh, you would be convicted by this. And in belief and confession that you would just give your hearts to Jesus. Understand that the God of the universe bled out for you and because of you. You need him. Confess your sin to him today and ask him into your life and heart. Believe on his name and you'll be saved. I guarantee you he will, he will finish the work that he started. Let's pray. Father God, we just commit all of this to you, Lord. Only your word, only you can bring life change in a person. Father, I just pray that people respond to your word in just genuine humility. God, that they would know your, their place before you. God, that they would be broken. God, that they would find um, uh, just, a, just a way to pursue you, uh, to, to, a way to, to seek after you, God, uh, that, that, that comes in, in genuine view of, of what your blood calls us to. Father, for any believer in here who is just desensitized, they're caught, they're stuck, they're just in the motions of this world, and they, don't, they aren't compelled by your blood anymore. Father, I pray that you break them today. Break their spirit, God. Bring them into, into view of your blood, into view of your son on the cross, God. Make them sensitive again to, to, to your grace to them. Father, if there's anyone here who, who has no idea what's going on and this is just all new to them, uh, but they know they are in desperate need of a Savior because they know that they are sinful. God, it doesn't take a genius to, uh, to understand that we are sinful and we need something. God, I just pray that they take a leap of faith today that they take their first step towards you, God, that they would seek out um, direction, that they would talk to somebody who they know, who, 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 who can introduce them to Jesus through the scriptures, God, that you might save their soul today. Begin the blood transfusion as you insert yourself and, and, and begin to insert righteousness um, in, in all of the disgust and in all of the, the grossness of our sin. God, most of all, we are grateful for Jesus, that he bore all of this so that we can know you. Father, it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.